Right. Good morning. Um, when asked the question, what evidence you have for God, how do you answer? Do you go to the historical evidence of the empty tomb? Or maybe the archaeological evidence that really supports that the Bible is a truly historical document? Or there is the manuscript evidence. So many um, manuscripts from that time, over, over 5,000 within uh, 100 years of Jesus' death, uh, pointing to the, the reliability of the New Testament. Some might even go for the scientific argument, looking at the wonders of the world, wonders of creation, and how we as yet still cannot create, recreate life and how there are so many wonders that we cannot explain. And even the wonders that we can explain, the beauty and symmetry of those, especially me as a mathematician, yeah, I, I love the, the symmetries and the, the simplicity and yet the complexity of life. Um, pointed all of the, the Renaissance scientists and the Renaissance revolution to God. And were they, they researched it because of God. Is that what you point to when you're asked about evidence for God? But how many of us jump to the evidence in our lives? The way that God has worked in us and has changed us and provided for us and protected us. Well, throughout the, the whole book of Ruth, we see God's hand at work. As he is so often in our lives. And this should be and will be our evidence more than anything else. Those other things are good, but these are, this is often the best evidence. So I'm going to read from chapter, Ruth chapter two. We are using ESV version, it is on the screen. Um, hopefully you can follow along. Ruth meets Boaz. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan, clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young men, a man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young, who's young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the, uh, from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, she has continued from early morning till now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not, go, uh, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the fields that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. 
Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, and you, sh you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to the, a people that did not know you, uh, know bef uh, that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servants, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some, uh, some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the fields until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her mother-in-law, uh, sorry, daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to, to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another, in another field you be assaulted. So keep close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the, uh, of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Let me pray again. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. You have preserved it and kept this uh, accurate record of what happened so that we can know more of your character and know more of you. Know more of your steadfastness and your love and your provision for us, even in difficult times. Help us to open our minds and our hearts to you as we read this, so that we are, can be challenged and changed, and that we can be better witnesses for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we looked at the miserable uh, events leading up to, um, up to this chapter leading Naomi and uh, Ruth to return to, uh, to Israel and to Bethlehem. 
we saw the bitterness of Naomi, not even able to stand the, the sound of her own name, which means pleasant. And we saw the loyalty of Ruth and how she calls on the Lord God uh, to keep her, uh, her, her promise of loyalty. We saw that despite the hardships, Naomi does not forsake God, but remembers him. Despite her hardships, despite her belief that God has turned her, his hand against her, and despite taking away everything she holds dear, she still remembers him. Right at the end of the chapter one, we see a glimmer of dawn. We see Naomi and Ruth returning as famine subsides, and it started the start of the barley harvest. Enter stage right are, uh, is Boaz, the worthy man of God. He is named right there at the beginning. He is named worthy. And this is my first question. These are my three questions, uh, or other three points. What makes a man worthy? What should we do when we see God at work? God has a plan, I should say. God has a plan, and we should trust in him. So what is it that makes Boaz worthy? It's rare for the Bible to name somebody as worthy. More often than not, it shows their failures. And even when there is a great man of God, Abraham, Noah, uh, David, it then shows their failures, and their sinfulness. But here we see Boaz is called, right from the beginning, he is called worthy. And like a clever playwright, and I don't think this is a play, we, we, we can't think of this as a play, this is recorded history. But like a play, a clever playwright, the author weaves into this story and emphasizes how worthy he is. So in verse four, we see that when Boaz greets his workers, he says, the Lord, that's the name of Yahweh, the Lord be with you. And they're obviously used to this greeting because they, they return that greeting. Now, if we take a look back very quickly, if you've got your Bibles, then take a quick look back at the end of Judges. And it ends, if you know Judges, it ends starting from chapter 19 with this particularly gruesome story of rape and murder and revenge. The main perpetrators are the men of Gibeah, but only because the Levite couldn't find shelter in Bethlehem, of all places. The place, that the setting for this next book for Ruth is about to happen. The whole book ends with this horrible, you know, devastating story. And with the words, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's a phrase that's repeated through the book of Judges. And it shows how far Israel had fallen. And how in desperate need they are for a king. So Israel was in turmoil and far from a safe place. God and God's law, especially those for hospitality, were not widely held. So it's a big contrast here to see that Boaz, 
does honour God and he puts God first. Look further into this chapter and we see, uh, see it seems through the text that uh, Boaz shows himself to be an honourable man. Now, I said last week that Ruth is neither a soap opera, it's not a uh, uh, drama, uh, uh, it's not a dramatic play, it's not a dating manual, it's not a love story. But there are definitely some things we can learn, you know, both young men and young women who are watching this, uh, some, definitely some dating tips that I would encourage you to, to learn. Not that I'm any expert on dating. So, it's pretty obvious from the context, especially if you read the next uh, chapter, it's pretty obvious that Boaz is attracted to Ruth. There is something about Ruth that catches his eye. But what does he do when he first talks to her? He doesn't shower her with praise for her beauty. He doesn't flatter her with fancy words or show off about his wealth, his riches, or even his godliness. Now, this, this may be one of the, the reasons why this wealthy Mr. Darcy is still single, but instead, he is generous to her and looks out for her safety and her well-being. He makes sure that his workers do not touch her, as we have seen that Israel is not the safest of places. And when asked about why he is being so nice to her, he praises her for her actions and her faithfulness to her mother-in-law. So, young women, beware of the man who comes and flatters you for your beauty and uses fancy words. But look out for the man who does something more and values for you for something more and shows that he is a good man through his actions. What is it, a man that, uh, so uh, just to put into the context here, uh, what's going on, for those of you who don't know what gleaning is, I think you can get it from the passage anyway, uh, but I grew up in the countryside, so I have seen some, of, uh, yeah, and I've worked on a farm, farm, so I've seen some of what happens. As the harvesters pass, harvesters pass through a field, they may miss the odd piece of grain or barley, and often... Uh, as guys, when we went through the field, we would be kind of competing with each other to fill up the the, uh, the basket. So we would kind of go through as quickly as possible to fill up the basket as quickly as possible. There may they may miss the odd piece of grain or barley uh, in this case, uh, but and by Jewish laws, the harvest uh, sorry the harvesters were not allowed to go back to make sure that they had picked the field clean. So the Jewish laws were there so that there was provision that the poor, the widowed, the, those who did not own land could go through these fields once the harvesters, harvesters, has gone, harvesters had gone through and that they could be provided for. And they could glean and take the, the food that was left for themselves. For those of you who have been to Middle East, the Middle East, uh, you can you know that so much of their culture is a, a, a surrounded yeah, is yeah, is about their hospitality, and this is an extension of that. 
at this time, the Jewish culture, God's law, the Old Testament, were supposed to set Israel apart from their neighbors. But we see in the book of Judges that they have forsaken that. And that this hospitality, this uh, custom that, the, that God had commanded, was probably not being held up by those around them. But here, Boaz is clearly expecting his workers to abide by those laws. And not only that, he goes further and asks his workers to pull out some barley from the sheaves and drop them for her. See, these gleaners were not supposed to go among the sheaves where the, the harvest had to be gathered, but he allows Ruth to go among these sheaves. You see, it's easy to go along with every, uh, everything that everyone around you is doing. In 2009, in Britain, there was a scandal. It was released to the press, this leaked, about the expenses of the members of parliament. And the MPs, great and small, were revealed to have been abusing the expenses and clay, expense claims for ridiculous things. Many of you work and many of you know that you have expense claims and you can, ex yeah, those expense claims can be abused. One MP claimed expense for cleaning his moat. Another claimed uh, the, the expense for building his duck house. Phantom mortgages, second homes that didn't exist. There was a claim by the husband of one MP for pornography. That MP submitted that claim. Extravagant lunches, second homes. This was the, were things that were not supposed to be claimed for. MPs, when this was revealed, had nowhere to hide and many of them lost their jobs over it. Of course, many would claim that this was just the culture. They were doing what everyone else was doing. When asked about it, uh, one, uh, one of the celebrities, it was Stephen Fry, who's not a Christian, but when asked, yeah, he's very anti-Christian, but when asked about it, he turned to the paparazzi and said, don't be hypocrites, you would do exactly the same thing. And it's true, isn't it? If everyone else is doing it, wouldn't we be so tempted to do exactly the same thing? Just going along with the crowd. But those who will stand before God and say that on judgment day have no excuse, do they? You see, being Christians, we are not answerable to those around us. That is not an excuse. We are answerable to God, not man. There is no, but everyone else was doing it. Or at least I'm not as bad as them. When our time comes, we should all be long to be called God's good and faithful servant. We should all strive to be called worthy, just as Boaz in this passage is called worthy. It's not an easy thing, and I can think of even things in the last day or two that I am ashamed of. But do not make me worthy. 
that's what we should strive for. So what makes a man or a woman worthy? It's not just what they say or even how they act. It's, not, it's more than the occasional act of kindness, more than outward appearance of godliness, more than even setting ourselves above the norm. It's the constant striving to live up to God's standards. That is perfection. It's not something that we can attain. The Bible makes that very clear to us. But it's the constant striving to live up to those standards. This passage doesn't claim that Boaz is perfect. But he is worthy. But let's return to the passage and see what is happening next. What should we do as we see God working? Now, Ruth returns with so much barley. And Naomi knows that something is going on. This is not normal. She was brave to let Ruth go out, but she had no other choice. Ruth was brave to suggest that she goes out. But Naomi knows that this is not normal. In verse 19, she asks, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed, uh, blessed is the man who took notice of you. And when Ruth tells her, she knows that something good has happened. Do you not see how she changes her words from verse 21 to, to verse 22? Ruth said, says, he said to me, you should keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. But Naomi says, do you see what she's changed? It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest you be assaulted. You can see why people are thinking, they say these things about mother-in-laws. It's not a love story. It is a love story, but this is not the primary thing as what's going on. Do you see what Naomi's doing? She, now that it is, tr uh, it, it, it is true that it wasn't safe to, tr uh, it, it wasn't safe time in Israel, and it could be that Naomi is just looking out for Ruth. But we see so much more in the next chapter that Naomi is very much setting Ruth aside for Boaz. She doesn't want some other young man to catch Ruth's eye, or some young man to sh start showing interest in Ruth. But Naomi truly sees that this is God's doing. You can see in her reaction, hearing that it's Boaz that provided for Ruth in verse 20. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. It's this moment that Naomi, Naomi finally sees what's, uh, what God's hand is doing. But what does she do? Does she sit back and just watch God's hand at work? Does she just sit back and let God do his work? Now that she sees what God's plan is, she works hard to make sure it happens. And that's what we should do. There are two statements which seem contradictory, that have very much relevance here. You've probably heard them. One is, let go and let God. I've heard that so many times and it does frustrate me. 
and the almost contradictory statement, God helps those who help themselves. But do you see in, in some ways, both of those have an element of truth. Far better is what is said in Philippians 4, chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So what should we do when we see God at work? We should throw our every effort behind God's plan and God's trying to make God's will happen. And he will honor us through it. My final point is God has a plan and we should trust in him. And we see that throughout Ruth. And this one should be obvious. Finally, uh, this is what the passage teaches us more than anything else. If we look back at verse 3, the author must have been smiling as he wrote this. So she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And she happened, she just so happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. What are the chances that the first field that she comes across happens to be a relative? And not just a relative, but a single, wealthy, worthy, godly man. Naomi knows this is no coincidence. It's God looking after her family. He has not forsaken the living, that is her and Ruth, or the dead, that is her, her dead husband and sons. He is from the house of Elimelech. He repeats that twice. Because that is honoring the fact that this is part of her husband's house. I don't often get asked about what evidence I have for my faith. But when I do, I don't find it easy to describe. I can talk about the historical evidence and I can talk about the scientific evidence. I can debate all sorts of evidences, but the real evidence, the thing that convinces me most is the things that have happened in my life. No great miracles, as I've heard from some others although there have been some surprising coincidences. No great visions, although I've had some amazing revelations, amazing revelations to me, maybe not to anyone else. No great answers to massive prayers, and yet ongoing answers to everyday, seemingly innocuous prayers, and a quiet understanding that God is looking after me. Note the small coincidences, the answers to small prayers, the revelations and the interventions. It isn't easy to convey that understanding that God has always and continues to be there for me to somebody who is asking for evidence. But the evidence to me is overwhelming. And we see this throughout the book of Ruth. God sets up these amazing coincidences what are the chances that anyone would take notice of Ruth do you see the repeated uh, reference to Ruth as the Moabite what is the, the chance that a Jewish man would take 
even further notice of her once they find out that she is not only a foreigner, but a penniless widow. And she says that even to herself. What are you, what is it that you take notice of me as a foreigner? Because Jewish people are not known for their love of foreigners at this time or at any time, actually. Yes, hospitable. But here we see Boaz going a step further. What are the chances on the other side? What are the chances that, that Naomi's relative, that she meets one of Naomi's, uh, Naomi's relatives, and he would be a single, wealthy, worthy man? Each of those is a unique situation in itself. Even if he were a very ugly man, and the passage really doesn't say that, even if he was an incredibly socially, socially awkward man, and it definitely doesn't support that, the passage, yeah, we, we know that at this time, a wealthy single man would still be probably be married. There is a good chance. And knowing what Jewish families are like, in fact, any families really, I'm sure someone would have tried to set him up many, many times. We know what they say about a man of wealth. I remember a poster on my sister's wall and it said, coincidences are just God working anonymously. Can we trust God in our life, especially at difficult times? And it seems like everything is going against you. Do we realize that those coincidences, even the things that go wrong, are in God's hand? Do we trust God? And that is the purpose of what Ruth is all about. Trusting God and seeing his plan at work. Even in this humble family, these two widows. Let me pray. Father, help us to continue to try and strive to be worthy of you. To live by your standards and not those around us. Lord, help us to recognize when you are at work and throw our efforts behind it. Use our energies, use the gifts that you have given to honor you. And Lord, help us to trust you and to know that you long for the good of us and the good of those around us. Even when times are tough, even when persecution comes, even in this time of pandemic, Lord, help us to trust in your plan. In Jesus' name, amen.